Okay, so I want to recap a little bit of the message from last Sunday. And I know that uh, Pastor Jesse, I don't know if he's still here or not, but he was. Uh, he, he ministered last, last week, and him and I had did like a tag team. So he, while he was preaching here in Marshville, I was preaching the message uh, in Republic. And so I just want to recap just a little bit, if that's okay with you guys. And so we had begun by kicking off this new thing that was started with our, our table groups and discipleship and things of that nature, where we have talking over points. So those are points that you guys can discuss as a family throughout the week. Along with that, there's, there's, instead, of, instead of utilizing, um, what is it called? Uh, the, the Bible app, uh, Uversion. Uh, we are now allow people to utilize the church's website. If you go to destinychurch.me, backslash notes, once again, destinychurch.me, backslash notes, you have the ability to not only uh, follow along with the message based upon the message notes, but also put your own notes uh, in the system so that you can go back and refer to them. At some point, we'd like to be able to have uh, books too that you guys can utilize, like a little folder where you can insert your notes on a weekly basis and then be able to go back and go over those things. We're working on that part right now. But until then, uh, you can always go to destinychurch.me backslash notes to be able to do that. And so part of what this whole thing is, is we're going into the series in the, books, the book of Philippians. Uh, one of the things that Pastor Chad and Pastor Tasha really want Destiny Church to be able to do is to become better disciples and better, better followers of the Lord Jesus. And so that requires a little bit different than what we've, some of us have been used to. And so if you guys remember, last week in Philippians uh, chapter 1, we were going through verses 1 through 11. And so now today we're going to go through verses 12 through 20. And so in verse um, in, in uh, 11, 1 through 11 last week, one of the, the, the scriptures that really stuck out for me was the scripture when Paul is talking about joy. And he's talking about being in prison and having joy in prison. And that seems like an oxymoron. Uh, and why, why would somebody say that they're having joy in prison? And, and the thing is, he wasn't talking about happiness. He was talking about joy. And so one of the things that we brought out last week was that happiness depends on happenings. But joy depends on Christ. Once again, happiness depends on happenings. But joy depends on Christ. Um, as we desire to become better disciples of Christ, uh, these are some points that, that we discussed last week. Our love for him and others must grow. We must be willing to push past our situation and be intentional about having joy in the midst of chaos. We must be willing to grow and mature in the things of God in our relationships with him. We must have moral discernment and our lives must exhibit the fruit of the spirit. And with that, we should have good fruit no matter what. And that was like the title of last week's message. And so what I want to do now is to go and read, uh, let's read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 20 in the Message Bible version. Philippians 1, 12 through 20, Message Bible, and it reads as follows. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squashed, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here and everyone else too found out that I am in jail because of this Messiah. 
they, that piqued their curiosity. And now they've learned all about him. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but most of the followers of Jesus have, had, have become far more sure themselves in the faith than ever, speaking out fearlessly about God, about the Messiah. It's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight. But the others do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I am here defending the message, wanting to help. The others, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition. And so the worse it gets for me, the better they think for them. So how am I to respond? I've decided that I will really, that I'm sorry, I have decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed, bad, or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed. So I just cheer them on. And I am going to keep that celebration going because I know how it go, it's going to turn out. Through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. I can hardly wait to continue on my course. I don't expect to be embarrassed in in the least. On the contrary, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and opportunity to be able to share your word. Father, I pray that your people are as fertile ground, ready to receive the seed of your word, and that they also cultivate it, and that a harvest of increase, a harvest of expansion, a harvest of more than enough will be manifested because of your people's receiving or receiving and accepting this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So more of the backstory of Paul. He is killing and persecuting Christians. Paul is killing and persecuting Christians. I want to go to Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Acts chapter 8, verse 3 says this, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. In Acts chapter 9, and you guys won't see this, but I'll read it for you. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 says this, Then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Verse 3 goes on to say this, that Paul had an encounter with Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus. Scripture goes on to say that Paul was blinded. I submit to you for your consideration that Paul's encounter with Jesus didn't make him blind. Paul's encounter 
revealed Paul's true state or where he was before the encounter. In the preparation for Paul to step into his next, sometimes the measure of a true encounter with Jesus is when our stuff comes to the surface so it can be dealt with before we step into our next. Interesting. Sometimes we look at what we're going through and not understanding that God is trying to reveal certain things to us. And so in order for us to be able to step into our next, that whole situation with Paul, it wasn't because of the encounter. Some things had to be revealed in preparation for him to step into his next. The next thing I want to bring out that a lot of people believe that Paul's name was changed from Saul to Paul after his encounter. Actually, let me explain this to you. He had both names before the encounter. He had dual citizenship. He was part of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee. So he had the Hebrew name Saul. However, he was also a Roman citizen, which gave him extended rights and he has a Latin name, Paulus. Check this out. He was called one name for where he was and one name for where he was called to. He had one name for where he was and one name for where he was called to. Okay, maybe you don't understand it, so I'll explain it this way. So when I was growing up, my close family members called me Eddie. And because I was born in the South, <laughs> my Southern relatives called me Eddie Joe. You know, Eddie Joe? Well, because anyone that was born in the South before the 90s, you know that everybody had a middle name. And nobody was never referred to by just their first name. It was Billy Bob or, 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 or Shirley Sue, or, or Beverly Ann, or Robert Lane. It was just a Southern thing. You always get called by your middle name too. So that's what my family did. However, my, my father called me his sent one. But then as I began to do a research of like my name and the meaning of my name, starting with my last name, Anderson, first name is Edward, middle name is Joseph, the word, the name Anderson is translated, the last part, son, is son. The Ander part of my last name means man. So when I put the translation of my name together, it means son of man who is a keeper of wealth that God has added a blessing to. Son of man who is the keeper of wealth that God is adding a blessing to. So what am I saying? I have a name for where I was, but also a name for where God is calling me to. When you think about yourselves and think about what God has called you to, you have to see that you have a name for where you were, but also a name for where you're being called to. And some of you all may not know what that means. You may not know what that name. And so it's something that you have to pray and ask Holy Spirit. Okay, where are you calling me to, God? What's the purpose that I have? As a believer and a follower of Christ, we have a responsibility. And it doesn't stop and end with salvation. That's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. 
The same thing with as far as, as far as our idea of Sunday service. Most people's idea, if I get to church on Sunday, I'm good. Sunday's the most important day. Everything else can kind of sort of happen if it happens and that's it. No, Sunday service is just a part of, it's just the beginning. How was your personal time with God? You should have personal time with God on a regular basis. It's almost like, and how many of us actually do this? Consider this, you'll eat only once a week. How many in this room would raise their hands and say, hey, I would be willing to eat only once a week? However, we do the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God at times. Well, we'll only say, I'm good with just Sunday and nothing else. I forgot to give you all a disclaimer before I got started with this. I got slightly sidetracked. This is one of those types of messages that's going to challenge you. And I need you to accept the, the challenge. You know, Pastor Mark and I were talking about first service about the fact that there's conversations happening all over the world right now as far as revival is concerned. And revival has began to break out here in the U.S., and uh, we've heard that revival is breaking out in a few other countries too. If we desire to see revival in our homes, Mm -hmm. revival in our city, revival in this country, it has to start with what we are willing to do. What are you willing to do? You cannot expect for revival to be manifested if we're only willing to do what we've been doing since we got saved, which is hardly anything. The public already knows whenever I preach, it's amen or ouch. Amen or ouch. Usually somebody's saying one of the two sitting next to each other, amen or ouch. It's time. God desires more from us than what we've been giving him. Are you willing to step up today? Are you willing to do more? Are you? Thank you, Father. It's interesting to me that God desires this for us now in this season. With everything that we have going on in the world, not just here in our country, he desires more from us than what we've been willing to give. When I think about Paul, I understand that Paul suffered much for his faith in Jesus. He suffered much. So I want to read Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Philippians 1 and 12 says this, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Point number one, trials or problems can work to our advantage. Trials or problems can work to our advantage. Philippians 1, verse 13, New King James says this, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all that rest, that my chains are in Christ. That same verse in the Message Bible says this, all the soldiers here and everyone else too found out that I am in jail because of this Messiah. The things that we experience are not just for us. 
Everything that you're going through or have been through is not just for you. There are others that God is going to bring into your sphere of influence that have gone through or, be, or maybe going through some of the same things that you have been through or going through right now. And they need to hear your testimony to know that if God has brought you through those things or given you strength in the midst of it, that he can give them the same strength. Why? Because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Because you can explain to them, don't lean into your own understanding. Don't trust in what you are able to do, but trust in God. What you're going through is not just for you. According to William Barclay's commentary of this particular scripture, Paul was literally chained to four Roman guards. These guards were the imperial guards of Rome who became the Roman emperor's private bodyguards. In other words, they were the elite. Paul was bound to these guards by a short chain, which made it impossible to escape. His captors became his captive audience. His captors became his captive audience. What was meant to shut him up, his imprisonment, resulted in the advancement of the kingdom. What was meant to shut him up, his imprisonment, was used and resulted in the advancement of the kingdom. Point number two, the trials of life can build up or tear down. The trials of life can build up or tear down. As disciples and followers of Christ, are we turning those things that challenge us or tear us down into the building blocks or stepping stones to further the kingdom? I want you to think about that. Are the things that we are experiencing in life, those things that are trials for us, are we turning them into the building blocks or stepping stones to further the kingdom? Amen or ouch. They should be building blocks. They should be stepping stones. There are those who need to hear what God has brought you through. It's not just for you. It's not just for you. And with this and having an understanding about this, that's where spiritual maturity begins. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, Jesus says this, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. We got to be about a father's business. Yes. And it has nothing to do with being called a pastor or preacher or evangelist or teacher, apostle or prophet or archbishop or the right reverend is what they call him in Africa. <laughs> has nothing to do with that. It's about you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. Doesn't matter of your title. Are you doing the work of the kingdom? And part of doing the work of the kingdom is being a disciple and following him. A disciple is someone who is always learning and always maturing. If you're not learning and maturing, then you are dead. D-O-A. Dead on arrival. Are you the walking dead? I hope not. I hope not. You must be learning. 
you should not be in the same place spiritually that you were when you first got saved, unless you got saved 15 minutes ago. If that is not the case, you should have grown and matured. There are people in this room who may be older than I am and you have established a relationship with God longer or before I did. And the expectation is that you have continued to grow. It doesn't matter how old you are. Just because you become a certain age and you've been saved, you know, I remember there were sayings in the church when I was growing up, I've been saved all of my life and filled with the Spirit. Okay, there's a lot of words that were said, but there was no action behind it. It was just words. Don't let it just be words with you. Time is too short. There's too much at stake. We don't have time to be playing games. We got to be real about this. So let's stop playing church and be the church. Let's stop talking about just being a believer and there's, there's, there's no, 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 no proof in the pudding. For real. The world needs to see that there's a difference between us who profess Christ and them. If they don't, there's a problem. What are you willing to do? Ms. Lacey, can you come up? Oh, is she still here? Oh, maybe, oh there, okay, there we go. <laughs> I'm almost done. Point number three, the happily ever after. In Philippians chapter one, verses 18 through 20, the NLT says this. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Verse 20, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be, be, be bold, excuse me, for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. What is Paul talking about in verse 18? Well, if we go up and look at verses 15 through 17, he's talking about people who are preaching the gospel based upon them trying to compete with him or hoping that because of things that he's experiencing that it's going to be a good thing for them. But he says, it doesn't matter to me about that. Just as long as the gospel is being preached. What is the happily ever after? What is the, the happy storybook ending? That even in the midst of everything that he was experiencing, Paul had an expectation. His expectation? To never be ashamed by sharing the gospel. That he would always be bold for Christ. And that his life will bring honor to Christ while alive or once he died. As disciples of Christ, this should be our desire. This should be our happily ever after. What prisons are you living in that you need to preach through? What prisons are you living in that you need to preach through? As you're thinking about that, I'm going to give you an example for for me. I, I, I have to be transparent when I'm ministering, because I need you all to know 
that regardless of me standing on this platform, I'm flesh and blood just like you. I have issues similar to yours, if not worse. <laughs> so you can feel me. You can understand. I heard you, Pastor Mark. <laughs> I'm teasing. When my wife and I first got married, <clears throat> we had been trying for almost five years to get pregnant. When my wife was about 28 years old, we went to a doctor and the doctor told her that the reason why we couldn't have children at that time was because she was in an early state of menopause at the age of 28, which is crazy. And so we began to trust God and began to pray and things of that nature. And during that time, we heard a bunch of news reports of people throwing their babies in the dumpsters or people abusing their children greatly. And, and for us, we're like, well, God, we want kids bad. You know, why are you blessing them with children and they're doing these crazy things that we want? We would never do that. Right and left, people getting pregnant. And we're like, what about us? So then we finally get pregnant after having to go through fertility treatments and things of that nature. And then our oldest son was born prematurely. And we found out after the fact that my wife had an infection in her uterus, which is why he had to be born early. That's why he came early, because God was trying to save him. But then after he was born, there were still issues to the point where they were trying to tell us, well, we need to pray. And well, they didn't say we need to pray. They said, well, we're gonna have to do a spinal tap because we need to find out what's going on. He's a premature baby. Any adult that has had a spinal tap knows the pain and everything that goes along with that. So can you imagine a premature baby? And we're like, Lord, what's the problem? I mean, we can't get it. That was the prison that we had to preach through. Because at some point in our lives, there were individuals that God was gonna bring into our sphere of influence who needed to hear how God had brought us through that situation. And then we had a woman after Isaiah was born and after he got past the first, the first initial couple of weeks of his life, and she said, well, don't you guys expect him to grow like other children his age? Don't expect him to respond to things like other children his age? And she began to speak, speak all of these, what she thought was negative things to prepare us. And we said, the devil is a lie. <laughs> yeah, my wife said she turned into a prophet, and she did because she began to prophesy everything that Isaiah has done in the positive since then. As opposed to doing high school in four years, Isaiah did it in three. Every challenge that Isaiah has had, he has come through it by the grace of God without a problem. And if everything that he had experienced in his life up to that point wasn't enough, he decided that he wanted to go through one of the most rigorous trainings that we have in this country to become a United States Marine. You can laugh at that. But the only way that he was able to do that is because he had parents who had learned to preach through the prison. Because we couldn't let what the situation looked like affect us to the point where we shut completely down. What prison are you in that you need to preach through? 